Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. You have your Bible, smartphones, or tablets and want to follow along on them. Uh, Matthew 16 is the passage we're looking at today. Uh, one of the things I'm thankful for and one of the things that I'm celebrating today is that it's for four years this weekend where I started to be pastor at Asbury, and it's been good four years. You are a very gracious church and an easy people to love, and so I'm so thankful for that. And we survived COVID together, and we've been walking together. It's been good. So uh, I, I am, I'm thankful to the Lord for leading me here. Have you ever found yourself reading scripture and you start to see that, well, you're kind of like one of the biblical characters? I have. You're reading a lot and you, along and then you think, oh, that guy reminds me a lot of me. See myself uh, in the story of the children of Israel, uh, wandering around the, the, the desert and uh, they see the power of God at every turn, like uh, they walk through the Red Sea, they, they have a pillar of cloud that's leading them and it turns to a pillar of fire by night. They see the glory of God, and, um, and yet what do they focus on? What they don't have rather than what they do have. Oh, I hate it when I see myself in those people. Um, I see myself in... The church at prayer in Acts, remember? Peter gets imprisoned, and the church is at prayer, and they're having this prayer meeting. They're praying for Peter, praying that he'll be released. He shows up at the door, and nobody believes him because, well, yeah, why, right? Yeah, I've been there too, right? Well, I see myself in Peter himself, especially when it comes to this story. And unless I miss, miss my guess, I, I think some of you will see yourself in this story as well. And if you do... There's some spiritual wisdom to be gained. So let me remind you, first of all, the story that we looked at last week. It starts at the beginning of Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asked the disciples, who are people saying that I am? And they replied, well, some are saying you're this prophet or that prophet. And Jesus asked them, and who are you saying that I am? And Peter replies, well, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, you understand this because the Father has shown it to you. God himself has revealed it to you. And Peter, just as your name indicates that you're a rock, on this rock I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Peter, you're the hero. You get a gold star. You get it. Peter, you deserve a big pat on the back. Way to go, Peter. You, you, you see it. You see who I am. At least sort of we looked at it last week. Now we pick up the story from there. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall not happen to you. Jesus turned to and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus says, Well, 
now that you get who I am, Son of God, Messiah, now that you get that, although you don't quite know what that means, now that you understand that I'm the Son of God, let me tell you what's going to happen. The text uh, says, from this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples what he must go th- uh, that he must go to Jer- Jerusalem and suffer many things. He was going to be killed. He's going to be raised to life again. Let me give you a spiritual principle. The more you know, the more that will be revealed to you. The more you respond to the revelation of God, the more God will reveal. By the way, that converse is true. The less you respond to the revelation of God, the less God will reveal. Peter got and spoke the revelation of God. You are the Son. Um, You're the Son of God. Because of that, Jesus went on to tell him and the other disciples what was going to happen. He was going to suffer and he was going to die, be raised to life again. When God shows you that you need to forgive someone, and you do, God's going to show you more. If you don't, you'll miss a number of things that he wants. If you want to know the ways of God, you must respond to the revelation that he's already given. But here's the thing. Sometimes God shows us stuff that we would prefer that he kept to himself, right? That's what Peter was feeling. Jesus was saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. Now, we know how important this is, right? We know that the cross is the central fixture in our faith, that because Jesus died on the cross, he paid a debt that we could never pay. We're thankful for that. We know that Jesus was moving through history, fulfilling his destiny. We know that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. We know that Jesus was raised to life again, that not only proved that he said that he is who he said he was, but he conquered sin and death and evil and Satan. But because Peter didn't have our perspective, because he only had a limited point of view, when Jesus revealed what was going to happen, Peter had the same reaction that we sometimes have. Lord, this just isn't right. This just isn't right. Jesus, I said that you were the Messiah, and that was right. So you should come to conquer. You should come in your power and restore your kingdom. The Messiah shouldn't suffer. The Messiah should not be at the mercy of the leaders in Jerusalem. He should, he should be a leader in Jerusalem. The Messiah shouldn't die. He needs to be victorious. But Jesus' plan was much bigger than that. He was not, didn't come to save Israel from the Romans. He came to save the world from their sin. He was revealing himself, but, but Peter said, no, Lord, No, this just isn't right. Verse uh, 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. He said, 
this will never happen to you. Lord, this just isn't right. You have a way of saying the same thing. Jesus says, forgive that person. Well, Lord, you know what they've done to me. This is just isn't right. Forgive. You don't know how deeply they've hurt me. This just isn't right. Lord says, give to a particular cause. Lord, you know I've been saving up for something else. How can you ask me to do this? Lord says, give some time here, some emotional energy there. Says, spend some time in prayer. Spend some time getting to know me. But Lord, you know my other responsibilities. You know all the stuff I need to do, like, uh, you know, this just isn't right. If it is indeed God who is speaking to us, calling us to action, showing us what needs to happen, what's going to happen or what needs to be done, then we will end up in a very familiar place. Anyone who's been walking with the Lord for a while will have been here. It's the same place where, where Peter finds himself. It's post-revelation, but pre-insight. We know what God is saying, but we don't know why he's saying it. We know what he's calling us to do, but we're not sure why he's calling us to do it. Have you ever been there? I have. By experience, I can tell you it's a hard place to be. I know what you're asking me to do, but I want to know the why. Why you asked me to do it? And I get very nervous when I can't explain the why. And yet, when I've asked in those places, sometimes I've heard the answer, the just shall live by faith. Sometimes faith means being obedient without knowing the why. Going on, verse 23. Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus says, now, now that you know who I am, remember when you said you're the Christ, Jesus calls him blessed. He says, you have the revelation of God. Now, what's happening? Jesus calls uh, Peter Satan. He says, you don't have in mind the, the God's revelations, but you have in mind, well, it's a worldly mindset. Peter, within the space of a chapter, goes from being a hero to a zero. He goes from being blessed to being Satan. He goes from having the revelation of God to having the mindset of what the world thinks. I must say, I like Peter because I've been there so often. There has been times when I think, I've seen it, I got it, I see it, I know it, I love it. In the same week, I blow it, right? You ever been there? Maybe you can relate. You come to church and the Spirit of God speaks to you. Uh, you're inspired to follow God, you're convicted about something that needs to be done or something that needs to be undone. 
you commit yourself to do it. You can't imagine doing anything else because, well, of course I want to follow God. You love God, you want to follow God, and then you go home. Then you go home. You talk unkindly to those around you. You forget about what you've done, or you yield to that same particular temptation. From hero to zero. I've been there. I guess as many of you have too. We read this passage, it sounds like Jesus is being hard on Peter. But as I read the Gospels, we, we know that Jesus has this particular affection for, for Peter. In fact, if anybody could be called Jesus' best friend, it would, it, would, it would be Peter. This is not about being hard on Peter. This is about teaching Peter what it means to follow him, to live the Christian life. Peter... You have a worldly perspective, perspective of man. You need the perspective of God. Here's the perspective of God, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus said, Disciples, remember when I called you? Some of you were fishing by the seaside. Some of you were in a tax collector's booth. And I said, follow me. Some I said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Remember I said to you, follow me, and you drop whatever you were doing and followed me? And you've been following me for almost three years now. But if you really want to follow me, here's what it's going to involve. It's going to go involve going beyond the perspective of people. It's going to involve getting God's perspective. And here is God's perspective. If you want to come after me, you must deny yourself. Now, those of you who've been going to church for a while, you may be familiar with the term dying to self. Um, this is not what it's talking about. Uh, dying to self, or to use the, the biblical language, dying to the carnal nature, is making those things that are sinful non-options. But what Jesus is asking us to do is to deny ourselves. Here's the difference. The things that we deny ourselves are legitimate desires, legitimate wants, legitimate needs. Eating is a legitimate desire. But in fasting, we deny ourselves. Having money and want, wanting to make ourselves comfortable is a legitimate desire. In choosing to live generously, we deny ourselves. To spend time working on my to-do list is a legitimate desire. Taking that time and using it to help other people when God calls, denying ourselves. 
The list can go on. But I'll tell you this, that Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He had the legitimate desire to live, but he denied himself. Jesus goes on to say then, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Now he's not asking his disciples to pick up a literal cross. But Jesus had to pick up a cross. That was the cost of living out the will of God for his life. The revelation of God in his life. The disciples' cross was living out the will of God. Living out the ramifications of the gospel in their lives. Your cross is living out the will of God and what that means for the gospel in your life. A friend of mine traveled to to Niger and he visited uh, the Tuani tribe. It's a very Muslim part of the world told me that while he was there, he, he met a guy by the name of Muhammad, um, and Muhammad became a Christian by experiencing a vision of Jesus. Uh, and that happens often in Muslim countries. He became a Christian. He is all alone in his faith. Since becoming a, a Christian, he, he's led 17 people to the Lord, because, but because Muhammad became a Christian, his family disowned him, His wife left him, his seven kids aren't allowed to speak to him, and he was wealthy, but he's not anymore. That's Muhammad taking up his cross. Well, my friend was in Niger, he spoke at a house church uh, that Muhammad had founded. Mogu, love that name, Mogu, uh, was my friend's taxi driver. came to hear my friend speak since he'd been driving around in the taxi, and through a tra- translator, he, he told, heard the story of, of the lost sheep. You remember where the, there were 99, but one sheep was lost, and the shepherd went out to find the lost sheep and found it and brought it back? Mogu heard the story, and he wept. A week later, he came back. My friend had left, but he came back to Muhammad, and and asked Muhammad to lead him to Jesus. Muhammad asked, are you sure? Are you you really sure? Your your whole life as you know it will be upside down. He said, "I, I can't do anything but follow Christ. He became a Christian full awareness of the cross he'd have to pick up. Some of the crosses disciples around the world carry are very heavy. There are places where following Jesus is extremely hard. Pray for our brothers and sisters. It is their cross, but it's not easy. People, your cross is to live out the will of God and the ramifications of the gospel in your life, where you live. We don't live in such an extreme world. But we do need to deny ourselves and take up a cross. I don't know what that means to you. For some of you, 
It'll mean living ethically in business when some of the business world is unethical. For some of you, it will be dealing Christian, Christianly with your family who is dysfunctional. For some of you, it will be living with your family who opposes your faith. For some of you, it will mean giving time or talent or money to the causes that God has put on your heart. For some of you, it will mean responding to the call of God. You've had this persistent feeling, this persistent tug, sense that God's calling to you towards something. Here's what I want you to know. Your cross and your neighbor's cross and Mugu's cross, Muhammad's cross, if you compare them, they're not always fair. Not always fair. It's not fair that we have it easier than the people in Niger. It's not always fair that God calls me to do something that's harder than my neighbor. It's not always fair. But I'll tell you this, it's always good. It's always good. For who, Verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. We have a lot of good uh, definitions of the good life in our country. Good life is found in a cottage with a yacht on the dock. Good life is found in vacations around the world. Definitions go on and on. But Jesus says if you really want to live, if you really want the life that is really life, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to live for yourself and shirk your cross, your life withers. But if you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus, if you lose your life, you'll find it. You'll find real life. You want real life? It's found in living out the will of God for you. There's no other way around it. Then Jesus asks this question. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he'll be, uh, he will reward each person according to what they've done. What good is it if you have this world's definition of a good life, but you're hollow inside? Really? What good is it if you have everything but joy and peace and love and hope? Not worth that much. That is true in this life, but it's especially true in the next life. When you do the will of God, when you live out the gospel, God promises you life, real life, abundant life here. But more than that, he promises you compensation in the next. I found that many people in our 
culture don't really care about heaven all that much. At least not until they're on their deathbed. We lay, we're an immediate kind of people. We want immediate gratification. We find it hard to live for next year, let alone, only, let alone eternity. But the fact that it doesn't motivate people in our, in our culture doesn't make it any less true. And when you get to the place where you're standing on the brink of this life, looking at the next, it's a good thing to be able to look back and say, I follow Jesus. There's some of you here today who you know what God's calling you to do. Uh, you've known the revelation of God. Maybe God hasn't told you why, but he has told you what. You haven't done it yet? Friends, choose the life that is really life. Some of you have seen the revelation of God, but you haven't done anything about it, and then you wonder why God's distant. Choose the life that is really life. In those in-between places, step out in faith. There's some of you who need to just recommit to saying, yeah, I'm going to be a disciple. You know, I've committed my life to Christ. I've been going to church, yep. Kind of doing all the outward things, but yeah, it's been a long time where I've really sat under Jesus' teaching. If you choose to be a disciple, push yourself ahead, push forward in Christian life. Verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross and follow me. I don't know what your cross is. I urge you to take it up. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is part of what it means to be a disciple. This is part of what it means for we as the church, as Asbury, to be following in the footsteps of Jesus. We take up a cross and we follow. We encourage one another on. When the cross gets heavy, we pray for each other. We hold each other up in prayer. You can't carry my cross for me, and I can't carry your cross for you, but I'll tell you, when you walk alongside me, and I walk alongside you, and we remind ourselves that Jesus is near, it's a lot easier. That's what it means to be the church. So today, I want to urge you, choose the life that is really life. Take up your cross, deny yourself, follow him. Let's pray. Lord, David said, your word is a light unto my path. And that's what I feel this is. I can so relate to Peter so often. I get it right and then I get it wrong. But uh, you come to us and you say, yeah, follow me. Lord, I don't know where you're leading each person here, but I would ask that you would help them on their spiritual journey to follow you. Help them to take the next step towards you. Help them to turn their eyes, shift their body so they're, they're, they're walking towards you. And Lord, may they see 
you give life that is really life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.